Welcome to the Open Door Cutting Room Floor Podcast, where we continue the conversation that started on Sunday to help you become more like Christ throughout the week. I'm your host, Clay Wright. Let's get started. Hello, and welcome back to the Open Door Cutting Room Floor Podcast. My name is Clay Wright, and I'm so glad to be here with you with Pastor Jim. Pastor Jim, how are you doing? I'm well. Good to be here. Good. We're, I'm excited about today's topic. <laughs> yeah, I know. We've been uh, hyping it up a little bit these last couple weeks, and uh, here we are. Uh, we're uh, In case you missed out on the last few weeks as we've been talking about the topic that we're getting into now, um, our, our sermon series that we started this last Sunday is called Learning to Breathe, and it's a sermon series out of our study of Luke chapter 4. And so we've been in Luke chapter 4, we've been studying the temptations of Christ, and now as Jesus comes out of the temptations back into Nazareth, uh, it says he comes full of the, or in the power of the Spirit, he, mm-hmm. he comes down to Nazareth. And we're pausing here to notice that phrase in the power of the spirit. And we're also looking back at some of the language that Luke, the author of the gospel, uses in the beginning of chapter four, verse one, that Jesus is full of the spirit Mm -hmm. and that he's led by the spirit in the wilderness. And so there's these packed phrases (laughs) that are going to take plenty of time (laughs) to, to unpack. And so, um, uh, we're, 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 we've been eagerly awaiting this conversation, but yeah. um, I, I wondered, Jim, if at the beginning, if you would just bring us a little bit into some of that conversation that we were having at the very beginning of the sermon, how you were setting up the gospel of Luke, mm-hmm. you were talking about Luke's purpose in writing mm-hmm. and how that helps us to see Jesus as our example. So what we see Luke saying about Jesus, we want to pay attention to that because we want to follow Jesus. Yeah. Yeah, in fact, I think that's one of the easy things to miss mm-hmm. uh, when you're reading Luke 4. It's such fascinating language of Jesus being full of the Spirit and led by the Spirit. And there's such rich Christology there and such rich uh, pneumatology. That word means um, the study of the Spirit, pneuma, Greek word for spirit, breath. We call it, we could call it breathology, couldn't we? Uh, <laughs> pneumatology, we'll talk about that in a second. Um, that, that, that's the Christology, the pneumatology is so rich that we miss out. Hey, anything that's, that's, that's used to describe how Jesus lived his life mm-hmm. is material to help us know how we live our, our life as disciples. And of course, Luke is going to come back again and again to the discipleship theme you know, saying things like, you know, Jesus, quoting Jesus to say, if anyone wants to be my disciple, he has to take up his cross and follow me. You know, anybody who does this is not worthy to be my disciple. So, you know, in Luke 640, he's going to say, when the disciple is fully taught, he'll be like his teacher. Yeah. So that's only two chapters away in Luke 640. But already Luke is warming to this theme of, hey, when we took, when we look at Jesus, we're not just looking at him to understand him. We're not just looking at him to worship him. We're looking at him to follow him. Yes. And it's worthy to talk about Jesus as who we want to worship. It's a worthy study to talk about Jesus, about who he is. But we must always remember, if there's something for us to learn about discipleship, let's not miss that. And, right. and so since, to me, Luke is one of the clearest gospel writers to say Hey, you know, in the first couple of verses of his whole book, you know, hey, I'm writing to you, you know, Theophilus, a disciple, to help you know what to believe and to, 
you know, help you as a disciple. So I, this is a, we talked about that word catechesis, mm-hmm. you know, catechesis, yeah. uh, a couple of months ago, you know, that's a, that's a discipleship word. It's teaching a disciple what to know, what to believe, what to do. Right. And so, I mean, you, you, it, Luke does not use the word disciple in his prologue, but it's full of discipleship imagery. Yeah. And, you know, I know we're already into chapter four, but we got to keep it, go back to it. Why was Luke writing? Why was Luke writing? Mm -hmm. Yeah. He's writing to, to, to shape and to form a disciple and to, and to inform a disciple as well. And of course, Jesus is not the first character in scripture to be spoken of with reference to the the empowering of the spirit or the filling of the spirit. It's it was so interesting in, in life group we were talking about how uh, we're just reading the story of Samson in the book of Judges in our church devotions. Mm-hmm. And Samson, it, to my memory, is the first judge who's spoken of as being you know have, having the Holy Spirit come upon them. Or I can't remember first the first judge. That's that's a good distinction. Yeah, he's not the first biblical character, but he's he's the first person in the book of Judges. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, and so, it, what one of the things that Luke is doing that I'm sure we'll get into is he's showing how the Spirit is at work in the ministry of Jesus mm-hmm. in in uh, in, a, in a way that is similar to how he was at work in the Old Testament, but it's there's also some new things happening. Definitely, really, really. Yeah. I don't want to give up too much, but it's so no, exciting. Yeah, Luke goes out of his way. I, I think Luke goes out of his way to help us see in the advent of jesus Mm -hmm. and when i say that phrase i'm referring to the breadth of including john the baptist so the advent of jesus is a an event that includes the culmination of the the old testament prophecies the uh, becoming the messiah the introduction of the ancient elijah to be the new Mm -hmm. you know the new elijah that is john the baptist uh, and the beginning of the of the the new age. You know, we have to be careful using that phrase "new age," because <laughs> especially talking about breath. And, yeah, <laughs> yeah. But but that's what's happening in the the advent of the the Jesus of Nazareth is this is the advent of Messiah, the coming of Messiah. This is a the coming of a new age. Yeah, yeah. And everything is going to be different. And and I think Luke is the one who goes the farthest out of his way to say to uh to refer to the holy spirit in all mm-hmm. of this yeah i mean even from the get-go um you know uh, uh, zechariah john the baptist's father is filled quote filled with the spirit yeah that's the first time we see that and then elizabeth his wife filled with the holy spirit woo and then john the baptist same phrase filled with the holy spirit i mean it's the only spirit-filled family mm-hmm. you know uh now that there's other kinds of language full of the spirit the spirit came upon them that kind of thing but just keeping with the phrase filled with the spirit it's elizabeth zechariah john the baptist um the disciples at the day of pentecost right uh, acts 2 5 says and they were all filled with the holy spirit mm-hmm. again staying close to that phrase then um, Peter, he stands up and says, and Luke says, and then Peter, filled with the Spirit, said, um, then you have the seven deacons of Acts yeah. 6, uh, yep. look for mm-hmm. seven men who are filled with the Spirit. And then two of those men, Philip and Stephen, are we get they get a little cameo uh, appearance in the book of Acts. And then you have um, the... Um, 
uh, Barnabas is the next person who's described as being filled with the Spirit. And then the mm-hmm. last one is Paul. Yeah. Uh, and I just laid his hands on him in Acts uh, 9, and he was mm-hmm. filled with the Spirit. So, yeah. so if we're gonna, again, we're going to stay strictly to that phrase, filled with the Spirit. It looks like, you know, if there's about 130 people or so, because there's 120 in the upper room. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, you know what? Also in Acts 4.32... It says at the end of their prayer meeting, and they all were filled with the Spirit. But that's probably a lot of the same people that were in Acts 2, the 120 mm-hmm. yeah. that were gathered. So um, in a way, that's a lot of people. Uh, but by name, that's 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10. Ten people, strictly by name, where the language of the filled with the Spirit shows up. Mm-hmm. And and it, interestingly... All the things I just quoted to you are all Lucan uh, writing. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. He wrote Luke and he wrote Acts. Right. You don't see that phrase in John. You don't see that phrase in Mark. You don't see that phrase in Matthew. Mm-hmm. And you don't see, and, uh, you don't say, you don't, you don't see that language in, in Hebrews and things like that. It's, it's Luke and Acts. Mm-hmm. Fascinating. Yeah, so, it is interesting. Uh, a little and, and, cutting room t- floor tidbit there. Right, right. <laughs> I, I think one of the coolest things for me when we think about some of some of the ways that the spirit is working in the minist- in the life and ministry of Jesus and then subsequently in the life and ministry of his disciples in the book of acts uh especially is how it's so connected to different uh biblical prophecies which mm-hmm. in Peter's sermon in acts 2 he quotes from Joel, Joel 2. 2 yeah and i i didn't know if we could even just read Joel too, just sure. to, because it's so, it's just so cool to me. It and is. then the other one is the <laughs> the one I read in my life group last night, which is in the book of Ezekiel in the Valley of Dry Bones. Oh, I love that passage. <laughs> I, I was reading it like getting choked up yeah. last night because it's of course there's there's more things going on, but I mean just it's so clear to me at least. Yes, this is an image of what's happening. Yes, at, you know, and as a result of. The ministry of Jesus. And so I, maybe son of man, can these bones live? Yeah. yeah. And then the breath, the four winds from the four, from the four corners. Yes. Yeah. Oh, that's so good. So good. Love, I love Ezekiel. But, and, and maybe we don't need to read it, but we just can observe that prophesied in the old Testament prophets is a mat is like this, the spirit of God filling armies in, mm. in, in the case of Ezekiel and causing the dry bones to <laughs> take on flesh and to come to life. Yeah. And then in Joel, it's the, this mass pouring out of the spirit with, uh, you know, for the empowerment of all these ministry opportunities, you know, your young men will dream dreams. You'll prophesy all these oh. sorts of things. Um, and, uh, in the Old Testament, that was kind of un, like unheard of. The Spirit would come on specific people, like Samson, for mm-hmm. instance, for a time, for mm-hmm. an empowering, or be anoint you know anointing a king like David for a special office. Mm-hmm. And yet, with Jesus, uh, the the Spirit comes on him and st- and it remains. Right, he is the he's not an anointed one. He's the anointed Amen. one, Amen. The, the Christ. Yeah, and then in him, it's, uh, and, oh man. I'm getting excited. I could talk. But anyway, so within that, some people would, you know, some some people wonder, okay, Jim, we're going back to verse one of chapter four to look at these other words with reference to Jesus and how he's full of the Holy Spirit, how he's led by the Holy Spirit. Why stop there? Why not go back further yet to his baptism where the Holy Spirit descends on him like a dove? Mm -hmm. You know, should we also not join him in that sense? Sure. So, so it's sort of this question of, as we're looking to Jesus as an example, 
oh, you know, why, why stop in Luke four one rather than going back even further? And, and where are the, where are some of the lines there? Yeah, those are those are super questions, and of course, um, we have to distinguish where is Jesus doing something that's unique to him as the Son of God, right? Um, and and where is he doing something that's as a rabbi to be you know um, replicated? And it's really easy to see in the story of the baptism of Jesus. You know, you have a picture of the Trinity, the <laughs> yeah. Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Well, I, I, I don't know about you, but I'm not a part of the Trinity, and <laughs> I've never discipled anybody who was a part of the Trinity. So it, that one's an easy one to see. There's something unique happening in that yeah. text that is, you know, about the inauguration of the ministry of Jesus and about an, another opportunity for us to see the, the Trinity. Mm-hmm. And so right. I'm like, okay, that's something that's special. Same thing with the transfiguration. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I don't teach people that they should be transfigured on a mountain like Jesus was. Um, and so, and, but even things that are, are not so clear, you know, why can't we walk on water? You know, what, what, what's up with that? I thought we can do all the things that Jesus was supposed to do. Well, you know, sometimes Jesus is acting as the son of God. Sometimes he's acting as a rabbi. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, he does say to Peter, well, yeah, then come out and walk. But it seems to me that it's more of a lesson of faith, more of a lesson of of coming to know who is Jesus. Right. You know, if it's you, tell me to come out, not because it's you, you know, and I want to follow you, help me to walk. Nope. This is this. We're trying to get clarity about who Jesus is. And so I can understand why some people might say, I don't understand where are the parts of the ministry of Jesus that I'm allowed to replicate and where are the parts that I'm not. Mm-hmm. But usually it's around the clarity of the person of Jesus right. that this cluster of divinity and theophanies and things that are unique to Jesus happen, whereas the things that are replicatable are more teaching moments, mm-hmm. discipleship moments. Yeah, yeah, I know that is really helpful. I've never thought of it that way, that it's there's clarifying Jesus' identity mm-hmm. versus helping us to follow him. Yeah. In the way that he loved others or in the way that he... I just thought of that, so... Well, that's great. I, that'll <laughs> preach, as they say, you know. Um, but one of the reasons I think this is such a helpful uh, clarification is because I I think more often than not, many of us struggle not with, you know, oh, why can't I walk on water? You know, the, sort of struggling with, can I replicate <laughs> Jesus on that end? As a, as opposed to, man, can I really love my uh, enemies? Uh, right? These challenging things that Jesus does where we're like, I'm, <laughs> I don't know that I'm able to do that. Yeah. It's like, well, lucky for us, Jesus is demonstrating that you don't have to be God to do this. Yeah. You can do this in the power of the Spirit. Right. Which I freely give to you, yes. you know? And so it's, Amen. it's this, re- it can be a really encouraging thing and super important to note that as we're discipling people. You can, mm-hmm. not because you are great, but because God's spirit is living in you. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, that's our only hope in our, you know, thinking back to our fight against temptation. It's not that we will somehow muster up the strength to resist, but more that we'll learn to trust in God and rely on his spirit. Um, so that, that's just a super helpful note of about Christology and, and discipleship, but getting more into the pneumatology, more into the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. Uh, I, I loved how in that second point of, point of your sermon, 
you were providing all these different descriptions of the Holy Spirit. Uh, and, mm. and of course, uh, the one that you spent a lot of time on and the one that's sort of the titular illustration is about the spirit as the breath of God. And so I wanted to ask you, um, even as I was sitting in the service, I was thinking to myself, okay, so this is a super helpful image, a super helpful analogy that's given to us in the language that the scripture uses mm -hmm. in the Hebrew with the word Ruach and that, all that sort of stuff. Uh, you but, need to wipe that spit off the microphone. Yeah, I know. I in, my, in, in my life group last night, I made everyone practice saying it. And I said, now you can all go tell Jim that you all, you know, you're, you've been, you've been inaugurated into the, yeah, it was funny. It's great. But so you have this image that's built in, but what are the limitations of this image? You know, uh, is the, is the Holy spirit oxygen? And, you know, we can think about the composition of, of the air that we breathe in the atmosphere. You know, where, mm -hmm. So obviously every yeah. image has limits that sure. you can't press beyond. So, um, yeah, how, how have you thought about that as you've worked with this metaphor? Yeah. Well, the, the very last word of your question is the key. It, it's a metaphor. And that's the, that's where we can get ourselves in trouble when we misunderstand that this is a metaphor and start, you know, thinking that I'm making metaphysical comments. Mm. And suddenly we would start thinking that the actual air I'm breathing in is the Holy Spirit. Mm, and yeah. no, that's not what the Bible teaches. That's certainly not what I'm teaching. It's a metaphor. So um, we, we notice that there's so many times in the Bible that in order to communicate a spiritual truth, God will give us a physical or a natural illustration right. or a natural metaphor or a natural picture. And that's what this is. And so... Um, I actually use the phrase uh, spiritual oxygen sometimes to demarcate from the actual O2, you know, oxygen. <laughs> yeah. um, so just I'm just trying to help people see I'm not talking about the air that you breathe. I'm, I'm saying that I is it possible that God has created a 24 hour a day living parable metaphor mm -hmm. picture to teach us um how does this Christian life work? And is it possible that the way that God has designed the the physical human body to operate, that is to be, you know, animated by oxygen, is got some parallels to how our spiritual body, our spiritual life works? And I think it does. And I think it's fascinating mm. that it does. Yeah. Um, so that's how I keep, that's how I build in the limitations to the metaphor, just reminding ourselves it's a metaphor, it's a metaphor, it's a metaphor. It's not a one-to-one -one comparison. Right, right. And obviously this, you know, the, the Bible is full of oh. helpful metaphors. Right. Whether that's in ecclesiology, thinking about the church, you know, the church is the family of God. You, literally, I, I suppose in a sense, but also... You know, of course, it's a metaphor that's helpful for us because we're learning a, about the church in the fact that it's the family of God. Or, and then you've also got the church as the body of Christ, which, of course, there's lots of uh, metaphor in that where we're each members in the body of Christ. And even Paul's able to say, 
theoretically that each one of us is a part of that body. So you have like a hand and a foot and a mouth, so on and so forth. <laughs> or all the metaphors that Jesus used. I am the door. I am right. yes. the, mm-hmm. the, um, the gate. I right. am the, or the light, or maybe that's not a, that's, that's got also some metaphysical things to it, but, yeah. but there's lots of times where Jesus uh, uses this language of metaphorical imagery that we're like, okay, we know that Jesus is not a piece of wood on a hinge, you know? Right, right, right. Um, yeah. We, we're not trying to figure out like, what's the doorknob and how do we turn it? And like <laughs> right. all these sorts of, what are, the lim- what are the limitations of this metaphor? Well, it's a metaphor. Yeah. You know? There's <laughs> lots of them. Um, right. Yeah. And so another question I had was because obviously to me, because I've um, read your works and I've been around you for a while, uh, I know that this is not a new discovery for you. Mm-hmm. How did you first start thinking oh, about wow. the, the breathing metaphor? And when, when did you first recognize about Ruach and, and all, all that sort of Hebrew underlying? Wow. I don't know, Clay. Um Man, um, you you stumped me. <laughs> I'm I'm silenced. Um, I don't know. Um, it was before, obviously, before I wrote the book. I wrote the book in 2014, mm-hmm. um, where I d- explained this. Um, but um, how many years before that? I, I mean, I think in seminary, when you know. Back in the 1800s, <laughs> oh my goodness! <laughs> no, when I was in the sem- in seminary in um, the 1980s, um, I was you know introduced to the Hebrew language and introduced to the Greek language, mm-hmm. and uh, so for sure I would have that's where I would have probably first heard that. But whether or not I was captivated and captured by whoa whoa whoa, you're saying ruach means spirit and breath, so like the spirit's the breath of God. I don't remember mm. where where that first uh, hit me. That's a, that's yeah, an interesting yeah. question. I'm not sure I'll ever know. Maybe I can remember one of these days. But yeah, it's there are so many things we know right that mm-hmm. are, are we learned so long ago. Um, but. Oh, I wish I could remember. That's a good question. Sorry, don't know. That's all right. But but as as you have chewed on it over the years, how have you found it most? Mm. Well, how, how do you ask? How have you found it most helpful? But also, what what has it helped you to emphasize about the Holy Spirit or yeah. about the role of the Holy Spirit in yeah. a, the life of a disciple? Yeah. So. You know, for sure, in in writing my book uh, back in 2014, uh, I was digging deeper into this metaphor and um, digging deeper into the, the biblical language and and starting to see the breadth of it and starting to to realize, oh my gosh, this is not just an isolated, or this is not a um, uh, in the corner kind of a concept. This mm-hmm. is actually something that's, you know, like I said, the first book of the Bible, second verse of the Bible. Yeah. And it's something that gets repeated again and again and again, the Psalms and Job and the old Testament, you know, we just mentioned Ezekiel, Ezekiel yeah. uh, you know, um, and, and Isaiah. And, um, and so as, as I started putting these things together, as I was writing, that for sure was new discoveries. And, mm-hmm. um, and I'm like, oh man, this is, this is so exciting. So seeing the Old Testament backdrop and then seeing the prominence of the Holy Spirit, 
uh, in the life of Jesus, because this was a bit, this was one of the biggest reasons I wrote the book was that I was of the school of thought. And I think a lot of people are that, you know, come on, Jesus was able to live his life because he's God, mm-hmm. you know, he, he, and so it's just, it's really honestly not fair to say to us, follow Jesus. We can never follow Jesus because we can never be God. And that's the only reason Jesus was able to love people because he's God. Mm. And uh, there's always this kind of underbelly to that, that, that concept that a lot of people think in their brains that um, is patently untrue. And, uh, and this is where it's revealed as untrue is that Jesus is full of the spirit. Well, 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 why does Jesus need to be full of the spirit? He's God. Well, when you put together Philippians two, that Jesus limited himself, that he mm. laid down, you know, his rights to exercise his divinity yeah. and seemed to go out of his way to live in these limitations. And then we just studied in the beginning of Luke four, that he experienced all these temptations. You know, the Bible really goes out of its way to help us see the, the, the reality of the humanity of Jesus. Yeah. Well, suddenly that makes him much more followable, if mm-hmm. I can say that, you know, if he's really fully human and if he's not cheating and, you know, accessing the spirit of God or the, the presence of God in a way that only he can, but in fact says to his disciples, I will give you the spirit after I leave. And, you know, he will, he's with you now. He'll be in you then. And then says, wait for the Holy Spirit because he's going to come upon you. Oh, wait a minute. Jeez, you're, you're making it possible for me to do everything you did. And those are the things that kind of came together for me as I was writing this book years ago, 10 years ago, next year. And that's part of the excitement. And, and so even though I'm not sure I discovered breath and Ruach back then, that's where I was discovering the connections and the application. Yeah. And, and it's application to discipleship, it's application to spiritual formation, mm. and it's application to what I have come to believe is the purpose for our life. You know, I'm I'm in my 60s. It wasn't until I was working on this book that I had the kind of clarity that I came to that the purpose of my life was to become like Christ. I would have always answered the question, the purpose of my life is to glorify God. And mm-hmm. that's that's good biblical the theological truth. But the way that I glorify God is to become more like Christ. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I remember um, I grew up in educationally in the Church of the Nazarene, which their cardinal doctrine is the doctrine of sanctification or the doctrine of holiness. And uh, holiness was taught to me as keeping yourself away from sin. You know, they talked about purity. They talked about um, sanctification in terms of purity. And so, you know, I understood sanctification and holiness was you don't do this. You don't do that. You stay away from this. You don't do this. You know, it's all these don'ts. And we even joke about holiness means you you don't smoke, you don't chew, you don't go out with girls that do. You know, and it's one of these stupid little phrases. But it was it's you see how all the negativeness mm-hmm. there. Yeah. And then I remember in seminary this is so this is so impactful to me. Remember in seminary studying the story where Jesus I think it's in Luke, I hope it is because I hope I want to preach this 
where Jesus come to comes yeah it's in Luke comes to some lepers and you know everybody's freaking out because we know that what leprosy does is it infects you it it poisons you and so its poison flows from it to you and here's Jesus now walking into the leprosy touching the lepers and yet not getting tainted or you know in other words his holiness is flowing you know against their leprosy into their leprosy and it's it's healing mm-hmm. so he's he's reversing the flow so to speak so instead of holiness being something i need to stay away from lepers and stay away from people who are bad so that i don't get, lose my holiness no holiness f- flows yeah. in an outward way it's positive it's reaching it's expanding mm-hmm. and holiness is a positive thing not a negative thing. Mm-hmm. So so now, instead of my focus being, how can I stay away from so I don't lose my holiness? It's no. If I am holy, I am doing things. And so it just kind of connected to me. I'm doing things like Christ. Ooh, is holiness like Christ like? Yes. You know, he's the holy one. That's the clearest picture of holiness mm-hmm. is Jesus Christ. Yeah. Well, so I remember going, so in other words, Holiness is Christ-likeness. And for the first time in my life, I thought, now I can get a hold of that. Holiness as a thought is abstract. Sanctification as a holy person feels abstract to me. But Jesus, I can do what Jesus did. I can follow Jesus. I, that's discipleship. Mm. And now suddenly, it's, it's like I've, it's, it's in shoe leather. It's handles. I can, I can, it's, it's tangible. I can follow that. I can do that. And that's when I really got excited about what holiness was yeah. because it's Christ likeness. And, and it really emphasizes as well God's grace to us mm. in that He recognizes our need f- to be able to touch and see and mm. feel and have a model. Yeah. You know, and the, uh, one of my takeaways from reading the Old Testament is just how serious God's holiness is, oh, how serious mm-hmm. the call to be perfect for I am perfect it, or be holy because I am holy is, you mm-hmm. know, as, as it gets repeated in, I think Leviticus. Yeah. And, uh, and yet God is calling to this people. He's calling to his people and they are, they cannot do it. And that's what the book of judges is all about is they <laughs> fail, they fail, they fail. Yeah. And then you get all these prophecies about how I'm going to come and put my law in your heart. I'm going to write it on the tablet of your heart. I'm going to fill, fill you with my spirit. Fill you with my spirit. Yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to put right. a new heart in you. Yeah. Uh, and, and, ah, uh, yeah, God, I, God, he's so good to us. Mm-hmm. He recognizes our, our need, our inability. And he, one of my favorite phrases recently, he makes provision for our lack. Yeah. He makes provision for our need and the person of Jesus and in the empowerment to the person of the Holy spirit. Well, and so when you start connecting those dots, that's when Bible study gets exciting. Mm-hmm. That's when Christian living becomes exciting. And, and as a preacher, that's where preaching gets exciting because I'm like, oh, I'm connecting all these dots yeah. in my own study. I can't wait to share them. That's the <laughs> yeah. awesome thing about being a preacher is that, you know, I actually have a platform to share. Now, you could argue everybody else does too. Their platform mm-hmm. is their relationships. Yeah, or their circle of influence. Absolutely. But, you know, mine is, I mean, people literally gather to come and hear me share the things that God has shown me. I mean, that's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. And what a privilege and yeah. how, how exciting. 
And uh, so that that's really what fires me up on Sunday mornings that I can't wait to show share what God has shown me. Yeah. And that that was really the prompting of for writing the the book and originally was um was to you know share the things that God was showing the connecting the dots. And um you know we keep referring to the book. I want to make sure people understand that the series Learning to Breathe is not a series on the book. Right. Um, Actually it's very very different and I'm I'm hoping to be able to start a book group to read through the book mm. as a follow to the series. So okay. details to follow on okay. that. <laughs> yeah. But uh I understand how it could be confusing because it's the same. It's a similar title and it's a similar graphic, right. but for sure the concepts that I'm that are in the book, I drew them from the texts that we're studying. So right. when you know when I talk about learning to breathe, um, I learned that from studying Luke chapter four mm-hmm. verse one being led by the Spirit, full of the Spirit, in the power of the Spirit, anointing of the Spirit, and digging into the very thing that I talked about this past Sunday, that mm. that the language of Spirit is the language of breath, you know, biblically. It's the language of, of God. And so, you know, bringing all those things together and connecting all those dots is is the the foundation of the book, Learn to Breathe. Yeah, yeah. But there's a ton of stuff in this series that we'll never get to that's, that's in the book. Right, um, right. Yes. Uh, but I, hey, I recommend people to read the book, of course. Was, yes, for <laughs> sure, for sure. And I'm even if we don't end up doing a book study, the you, the book is available. Uh, I think you can still get it in the Crossroads, but if not, you can definitely get it on Amazon. I was just checking that out earlier today. Well, see, someone told me they tried to order it on Amazon, and it said out of stock. Really? Yeah, so I was pretty upset about that. Huh. Because um, I paid them money, and I paid my publisher money to to be in a deal with Amazon, so I have to get a hold of Amazon. But in the meantime, I have a ton of books, uh, and I'll give you a discount, so you can buy them from me. <laughs> awesome. Oh, that, okay, that's great. I'll give you know. a better deal than Amazon. Uh, I was before we move on. I was grinning earlier because you were talking about that passage with the leper, and you just sent out the preaching calendar, and I just so happened to read my other preaching assignment. Which is that passage? It is. Yeah. Love in, Luke, it. in Luke five, <laughs> I think it's Luke five at least. Yeah, <laughs> you lucky duck. I know, <laughs> but anyhow. Um, so, so we're talking about the Holy Spirit, the breath of God, and um, w- one of the key ideas in the midst of that. Obviously, w- one of the things, at least, I find most helpful about the metaphor is it reminds me of the reliance that I have on the Holy Spirit, mm-hmm. in that. Uh, just it, like you do for breath. Exactly. Right. And so I'm, I'm constantly in need of, mm. I mean, just the example of saying, can I see the hands of anybody here who took one breath this morning and you haven't taken a second breath apart from being hilarious? That's so true. It's mm. so helpful. It, it's yeah, man, if I take my physical breathing that seriously, which we do, it's subconscious because it's so necessary to our life. Um, Am I willing to put in the effort towards spiritual breathing, which is arguably mm. much more important? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, Amen. Um, and yet, you know, th- there's this interplay with physical breathing where we're exhaling toxins and we're exhaling, and so you know we're not we're not able to take one breath and hold it. And sometimes that can cause people to ask questions about, okay, so how how exactly does this work with the Holy Spirit, right? Because we recognize that we're filled. With the Holy Spirit, the Spirit comes to, he takes up residence in us when we become a Christian. Mm -hmm. You said that's how you become a Christian. It's the Holy Spirit regenerates your heart. You know, you you receive him. He comes to take up residence in you to make you more like Jesus. Um, 
and, and, but then there's this question. Okay. So if I have the Holy spirit, do I ever lose the Holy spirit as a Christian? Mm-hmm. So, sort of like Samson who remember he, you know, Delilah c- cuts his hair and he mm-hmm. says, Oh, now I, you know, and the, it says the spirit of God left him or yeah. he came up not realizing that his, the spirit had left him. Well, you know, is and, that... and it says of Saul, the spirit of God left him. Right. Yeah. yeah. And then in Psalm 51, I mean, we could go on and on. Take not your Holy spirit from me right. restore unto me the joy of my salvation. Right. So, so is it like that with us as believers where we take, we can receive the Holy Spirit, but then we lose the Holy Spirit. And so that's why we need to breathe them back in. Or is it something else? Yeah. You can bring some clarity to yeah, that. Yeah, really good question. And, and I can see how people would, based upon the Old Testament and based upon logic, how they would go, yeah, you can lose the Holy Spirit. Uh, but I don't see any instance in this new Again, when I say this phrase, this new age of the Holy Spirit, I just hate that the new age movement has stolen this language from the Bible. Uh, uh, you know, um, this in this concept, but you know, for sure there there is this. Uh, well, let's use the biblical language. The last days. Yeah. That's yep. that's how Joel talks about it in Joel two, mm. and that's how. Um, Peter uses it when he refers to Joel 2 in Acts 2, um, you know, the last days are upon us. And so um, that's an exciting time to be in the last days. Yes. So in these last days that we are living in, the, this is the day of the spirit. This is the, this is the age of the spirit. This is um, the... Uh, the, 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 the time of the Holy Spirit, and he's moving in more power and more freedom than ever before, because Jesus said he has been with you, but now he will be in you. Mm. And so that's a key thing. The second key thing is that the Holy Spirit starts the church. And so he, as, as he, you know, and introduces the church, invents the church, inaugurates the church, you know, brings the church into being, births the church. Um, there's a, this is a, we're in a whole different day and age. And so because of that new day and age, no, you cannot lose the Holy Spirit. He's not one who comes and goes. Um, you can grieve the Holy Spirit, but I don't understand grieving the Holy Spirit as meaning he has left you. Mm. Uh, um, you know, when my children grieve me, they don't, it's not like they cease to be my children. They just, you know, disappoint me. So yeah, I have to yeah. discipline them. You know, now I'm talking about my younger children, not my current children. I don't, my children are all adults. I don't discipline them. <laughs> but the, 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 the familial concept of, yes, of yes. a parent and a child, you know, your, your children do things that grieve you when, and when they're in the home. And so it doesn't mean that you've lost them or they've lost you or you've lost yep. the relationship. Yes. So yeah. there's, there's no indication that, that I know of in the, in the New Testament uh, where the, that we can sin away the Holy Spirit mm-hmm. or that sometime, somehow he will leave us. Now, we will lose the sense of his presence. Absolutely. That's one of the things that happens in grieving the Holy Spirit. Uh, we can quench the fire of the Spirit. That is, we can uh, limit his work and we can um, ignore or, or restrict his freedom and his movement. But 
the very nature, the very act of you becoming a Christian is a work of the Holy Spirit. And so your salvation, again, to use the familial you know, illustrations, there's nothing that my children could ever do that would cause them to cease to be one of my children. Mm-hmm. I, I, they could go murder a bunch of people. They're still my kids. You yeah. know, they're in my family. They're minlings. Right. You know, and so... You know, there's there's nothing that 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 Satan can do, and there's nothing that people can do to pluck us out of the hands of the Father, yeah, or to remove the Holy Spirit. So, you know, David used that language as you referred to in Psalm 51, but you don't see that language in the New Testament. Right. You know, no one prays, "Lord, don't take your Spirit from me." Uh, I'm afraid that you might. Um, and if they did, it would be a prayer of ignorance because that's not the way the Holy Spirit works. Mm-hmm. So back to the original first part of that question, does the Holy Spirit leave us? No. But do we leak? Yes. What do we mean by that, that I leak the Holy Spirit? Well, that's just, that's not a biblical phrase. It's just kind of a funny way of of laugh, of joking about the fact that, that, you know, just like Jeremiah says, the we are like broken cisterns. Mm. Not only do we make broken broken cisterns, you know, handmade ways to take care of ourselves, to fulfill ourselves, but even ourselves, our hearts are like broken cisterns. We're cracked yeah. pots. Let's let's use that metaphor. That's mm-hmm. a funny one. And so, cracked pots leak. And so, uh, let's talk about what that means. It what all it is is a, is an indication that that the nature of sin impacts the human person, the soul of a person, that it cracks their pot, you might say, that mm-hmm. it, it causes us to leak. Uh, I'm made in the image of God, but it, it, as long as I'm on this earth, I'm living under the uh, influence of, the, of how sin has infected yeah. all of, of society, mm-hmm. all of creation. And so as C.S. Lewis says you know and we're um we're glorious ruins yes that's capturing that's keeping together the fact that i'm made in the image of god and yes sin has stained me mm-hmm. and i don't want to elevate the power of sin's damage so much that it removes the image of god from me neither do i want to minimize the impact of sin on me so much that it doesn't really make that big of a difference. Oh, sin was just a, sin just, you know, uh, hurt me a little bit. No, sin has damaged me deeply, has deeply distorted the image of God, but it hasn't destroyed the image of God. Right. And so instead of using leak language, we can just say, you know, we're sinners. And so, um, we're sustained by the presence of the Spirit as we live in relationship with the Holy Spirit. So, in a way, the whole metaphor of breathing and the whole metaphor of living in the power of the Spirit is another way of saying live in relationship with the Holy Spirit. Yeah. And so, you know, the Bible is not satisfied merely to talk about my salvation in forensic terms or just judicial legal terms. Mm. It 
also wants to talk about it in dynamic terms. Yeah. You are justified by faith, but you also are regenerated by the Spirit. Those need to be held together. Yep. Yes, there, there's a legal way of talking about my salvation. I'm in a new state. I am saved. But there's you can't only talk about that. You also talk about I'm in, I'm a child of God. I'm regenerated. Yeah, yeah. I'm full of the Spirit. There's this dynamic relationship. And so I don't lose my legal standing, but I can lose the sense of his presence, or mm. I can lose the intimacy, right. or I can sin away the 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 the, the intimate that sense of intimacy. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of what I mean by by leaking, right? And so let me make sure I'm hearing you correct, because I think I like you wouldn't say that you can have less of the Holy Spirit as a result of leaking. You, like it, it's sort of, I'm not thinking through it. It's like uh, you, know, God is omnipresent, and yet there are moments when we would say, "Man, God is in this room." It's mm-hmm. like, okay, well, was he was he not there before? Right. Well, no, he was. What we're trying to find language to describe is, it, we we feel it, 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 there's this there's this sense of His presence in a, in the room, and not that it's an o- only an emotional thing, and not that it would be bad if it were. But the language that the psalmist uses, I think even either today or yesterday used, about seeking the face of the Lord, mm-hmm. this is a great Old Testament yeah. image about, it's not about necessarily going and trying to find the place where the Lord is, as though he's not in other places, but the the face of the Lord is an image to describe the, the felt presence of God, yeah. you know, his sort of see, you know, sensing that he's looking upon you. Yeah. And we, I, many of us have experienced that. That's the relational language. That's, that's, mm-hmm. that's, that's why I'm such a big fan of John Wesley. He was a very relational theologian. And some of his counterparts that we call Calvinists tended to be more um, judicial, legalistic, not legalistic, legal, uh, forensic kind of theologians. They mm-hmm. were, and, I, and I just really love the relational language, you yeah. know. And that is such an important part of our understanding of what salvation is, what sanctification is, what discipleship is. And um, this next week, then when we talk about being led by the Spirit, I'm going to say something to the effect of uh, it's a lot easier to be led by the Spirit when you're full of the Spirit. Mm -hmm. These go together. They're not separate things. Yeah. So, you know, if you're having a hard time sensing the direction of the Holy Spirit, the leadership of the Holy Spirit, you may want to go back and pay attention. You know, am I living in union with God? Am I living uh, in full of the Spirit? Or am I uh, ignoring that relationship? Mm. And so, you know, I don't want to preach next week's sermons, but, but, (laughs) but one of the biggest things about being led by the Spirit is simply paying attention to the relationship. Yeah. And what most people do when they want to talk about being led by the Spirit, most of them mean, I haven't been walking with God. I haven't been paying attention with God. I've been doing my own thing, but now I'm at a crossroads and mm-hmm. I need to make a decision. And I really want to make the right decision and I want to be a good Christian. I want to be led by the Spirit. Uh, no, you really don't want to be led by the Spirit. You want a magic charm. Mm. <laughs> you want a you know some sort of a role of the di- you want some some you know some spiritual um, vitamin to take something that you can manipulate. That's yeah, in service you know, of you, right? That's right. And yeah. so you know, walking with God actually will help you. You know. Um, 
be led by God. Mm-hmm. It's, it's in that relationship yeah. that so much of the leadership of the Spirit happens. And even, yeah, I just, I, the Old Testament is pretty cool. I, I feel, I keep, I, when we were reading through the story of Gideon recently, mm. I was thinking, of, you know, he sets out the fleece twice. <laughs> and I'm like, first of all, that's just like me to want to be like checking, double checking my, you know, I, you know, my faith. But Gideon, he doesn't set out. He he doesn't come up with a problem and then go set up set out a fleece immediately. He's hearing. He's listening to God. Mm -hmm. God approach. You know, is a servant of the Lord comes to him like Mm -hmm. an angel comes in and appears to him, or a Christophany, depending on Mm -hmm. how Mm -hmm. you read that. Right. But God comes to God makes establishes contact with him. Gideon receives that. He's walking. You know, he's in that conversation with God. And then as a result of that, mm-hmm. he's continuing to hear from him. And then he says, okay, Lord, help me out. Would you guide me? Would you lead me? And God honors his request. Yeah. So I think... We'll, we'll even talk more about this in the Sermon on the Anointing of the Spirit. Okay, yeah. What does anointing mean? Mm. And one of the things that it will mean is that is it's how God leads me. Yeah. Uh, but and, we'll, and, we'll wait for that. And maybe this is a good, this is a good thing to end on. Um that word anointing, I think, can can be off-putting to some, or at least it was to me sure. for a long time. Sure, it's been abused. Uh, and, and one of the reasons, just as you've said, is because it's been misused. Mm-hmm. And there was some language that you used at the beginning of your sermon that there's a lot of confusion about the Holy Spirit that's running rampant in the church. Yeah. I didn't know if you wanted to spend a few minutes... Uh, you know, how, how do you see that playing out? Or if you wanted to address some of the cultural context of that, whether that's the new age aspect that we've referenced here and there, or whether that's, you know, variant and what we consider unfaithful doctrines about the Holy Spirit that are yeah. going around. That's a huge question. And it's both. There mm-hmm. is, uh, there's unfortunately been um, a lot of unbiblical teaching and uh, because of the internet and because of, um, uh, social media, a, a person's message can be um, extended and be what's the word I'm looking distributed yeah. to a lot of people really fast. And so, you know, there's this loss of biblical literacy that's coupled with this loss of discernment, so that most Christians can't even tell the difference between an anointed preacher, an anointed teacher and a very inspirational teacher mm. or a teacher that really moves me. We, we say if a preacher or teacher moves me, has a lot of charisma, then they're anointed. Maybe not. They just may be a very good communicator. Mm. And, and then if you add to that, you know, that they're articulate and they're good looking, then, you know, most American Christians, as I say this to our shame, most American Christians would, would, you know, say that's, that's the person that I think has the spirit, which, you know, has, those things have nothing to do. If we're back to Samuel, you know, man looks on the outside, but God looks on the heart. Yeah. And so because of this biblical illiteracy, because of a lack of discernment, um, there has been a lot of false teaching that has gone out and not been corrected. 
Mm-hmm. And so we call this sometimes folk theology that people just kind of piece a little bit of my favorite preacher here, a little bit of my favorite preacher there, a little bit of this Eastern mysticism teaching there, a little bit of things I heard on Oprah. Sometimes I call this, you know, smorgasbord Jesus, or <laughs> now it could be smorgasbord spirit, you yeah. know, smorgasbord theology. Mm-hmm. Well, we just, you know, take a little bit from here and there and, and, you know, you know, Oprah will have, of course, I've never watched Oprah, so I don't really know this, but I know that she has different kinds of speakers. Does she still have a show? Is there still a show called that, the Oprah I, show? You know, that's going to, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Like, <laughs> but I know and there, there have been people that come on the show that are spiritual, mm-hmm. but not, you know, Christians. And sure. so, um, you know, the, the, one of the proofs of, the, of what I was trying to say in the beginning of my sermon this week is that everybody has a spiritual hunger. There's a, there's a desire to be filled, which is beautiful and God-given, but it's been distorted and it's been twisted and it's been misunderstood. So, so America has a hunger for God, but they don't realize it's a hunger for God. Mm. They might realize it's a hunger for spiritual, for something spiritual, but again, they don't know that it's the true God. So they look for a way to fill it in spiritualism or spirituality, mm-hmm. which is not Christianity. And the, the more that people make up their own spiritualities, and the more they have their smorgasbords, and the more confused they are, the more these crazy teachings come out. And so this all leads to this confusion of the Holy Spirit. And so when a person preaches something that's not true, instead of our radar going off, going, wait a minute, does that square up with Scripture? Or instead of us going, I'm not sure that's really what the Bible teaches, um, we just go, yeah, it must be true. You know, it must be good. And um, Mm. it's just really, really sad. And by the way, just because your radar goes off, I'm not really sure that's true. That doesn't mean it's not true, because in Acts chapter what is it? Um, where's the Berean church? Is that Acts 17 or I, I don't, 19? Yeah. I think it's Acts 19. You know, the, the Bereans studied the scriptures daily to see if what Paul was saying is true. In other words, they weren't sure it was. Mm-hmm. You, know, you know, this is the new teaching you're bringing. Well, it was biblical. It was revelation. It was true. But they just weren't familiar with it. So what they do? They went back to the scriptures yeah. to study it. Yeah. And so, the, and so you have a, a spiritual hunger and you have false teaching about the Holy Spirit, and it all gets mixed up to create, and, and you have this this day and age we live in where teaching is so it's accessible, yeah. all these books, all these podcasts, all these radio shows, all this dissemination of all these preaching and preaching teaching, it's just a smorgasbord out there of confusion. And so we need good, clear, biblical teaching on you know, who is the Holy Spirit? What does he do? Yeah. And uh, so that's that's uh, that's the biggest reasons for the confusion to me, yeah. it seems. And, and, and I'm excited for the next several weeks, uh, and however long we're in this series, and, mm-hmm. and in the Gospel of Luke, as he's going to continue bringing up the Holy Spirit as a major theme mm-hmm. in his writings. Yeah. Um, so maybe uh, we'll, we'll sign off there for now. And thank you so much for joining us for this conversation. Uh, we'll, we'll love to have you again next week. Amen. Thanks so much for joining us for this episode of the Open Door Cutting Room Floor Podcast. But don't let the conversation end here. Find a group where you can deepen your roots at connect.opendoor.tv. And don't forget to submit your questions to podcast.opendoor.tv. Have a great week, and we'll see you Sunday.